0: So, my name is Penny Chisholm, and I'm a professor in the Department of Civil and Engineering, Civil and Environmental Engineering, with a joint appointment in Biology. And um, I'm a microbial ecologist. I'm an ecologist by by training, and I work on uh, microbes in the oceans, photosynthetic uh, plants in the oceans. They're called phytoplankton. That's what the the, the research that my lab does. Um, so, so I will be. Whenever I'm using examples in here, I'll be using a lot of times. I'll be using examples of of microbes and of 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 plants in the oceans Uh, because I know most people know a lot more about trees than they know about uh, things that photosynthesize in the oceans. And I'll convince you that you should be as bonded to phytoplankton as you are to trees in terms of um, recognizing your dependency on them. So. Um, that's just a little bit about my background. Um, now, let me find out a little bit about you. Are you uh, is there anyone in here who's, who's taken uh, the ecology class, uh, 703 or one, 1018, that I used to teach but haven't taught for the last two years? No? Well, that's good um, because there's some redundancy. And are there any periscope uh, students or alums in here? Okay. Just curious. Uh, so, um, let me uh, tell you just briefly about my hopes for our interaction in this class. And I stress the term interaction. Uh, I don't want to just sit up, sit, stand up here, uh, talking at you. I really hope that you will ask questions and interact with me. Uh, it makes it much more interesting for us up here uh, if people are. Asking questions and challenging. I expect you to challenge what I say. Um, the field of ecology is very broad. It uses uh, knowledge from physics, from chemistry, from geology, uh, all diverse fields, uh, and biology, of course. Uh, and so, some of the things I'm going to talk about, I know there are students here uh, who know more about it than I do, because um, I think you're all majoring in very diverse uh majors at MIT. So, I expect that if I'm saying something wrong, um uh that that you challenge me. And um, cuz we're all in this together. The goal is to learn, not necessarily to be right all the time. Okay. Um So, Today, really, what I'm going to do today is, is really give you a broad overview of the field of ecology, and the things that I'll, I'll talk about are things that we're going to go into in depth in the next series of whatever lectures I have, ten or eleven. Um, so, some, most of this you don't need to take any detailed notes on or whatever. This is just to, to, to forecast uh, what's to come. At the end, I'll, I'll tell you what what the important points are. Um, so. What, what is ecology? Um, it's a very broad field, and uh, it's basically the study of the interaction between organisms and their environment, um, or the study of what regulates the distribution and abundance of organisms. And what we're going to do is, is, is talk about the subdivisions of ecology and look at the characteristics of ecological systems, define some, some general characteristics. Um, and then we'll begin to talk about ways that organisms' life mediates the transformation of energy and, and mass on Earth. So, in, in this class I'm going to be talking at all, about all levels of organization of living systems, from the biochemical level, the gene level, to the entire biosphere. Um, no small challenge. Um, So the discipline of ecology—I'm going to move this down a little bit—is only about 100 years old. Um, It's a relatively new discipline, but it's 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 a strict natural science. It's not ecology is not environmentalism. Uh, Ecology is not recycling. Ecology is a branch of uh, the biological sciences, and it uses the scientific method, which I know you're all familiar with, but. But let's just review uh, how ecologists learn about how systems work. And it starts with observation, sometimes called descriptive. You go out and you describe what you see in nature. Um, So description. And from that you form a hypothesis. About the things that are structuring that system, and then you actually do experiments. And this is something that a lot of people don't realize. Um, We can do experiments with ecological systems, be they microsystems, or some of the things we'll talk about in this class are, are experiments with whole ecosystems. For example, they'll clear cut an entire forest watershed and compare then the behavior. Of the element cycling in that watershed with a control watershed uh, where you don't clear cut the trees, so it's a basic experiment just like you would do um, in test tubes. And there are numerous other examples about that manipulating whole ecosystems, fertilizing whole lakes. Um, obviously, it's more difficult. You have to get permission to do these kinds of things, and you have you know hundreds of replicates of these experiments. Uh, but it is a way of of understanding the systems, and then. From the experimental results, you test the hypothesis and then you develop models of how the system works, and then you revise your description based on uh, the models, and then you keep going through uh, that cycle. Um, ecology, at, at, at many universities, you can get a PhD in ecology, they have whole departments of ecology. We at MIT don't, uh, we have very few. People even who are ecologists, but um, it is a field, and you can go on uh, to uh, get a Ph.D. Okay. So, what are the uh, the subdiscipline um, of ecology, and it has to do with the hierarchical organization of living systems. Let me go to my first slide here. and I have a pointer. Oh, well I have to stand back to So when, when, we, when we think of living systems, you can start with the atom, and together they come together and make up molecules, come together and make up the cell you have and then the cells come together and make up. Tissues and organs, and then eventually you have an organism, although you can have unicellular organisms. And then here's an organism, and then uh, a group of organisms belonging to the same species is called a population in ecology. And there's a whole field called population ecology. We'll have a a few um, lectures on that where you study what regulates the growth uh, and the Life cycles of a particular species of organism. And then a collection of populations is called a community. And there's a whole field of, called community ecology. And then a, a collection of communities. Uh, here's, this is a coral reef. Um, can you guys see these slides in the back? Is there too much light? Is it OK? OK, good. Um, so uh, this would be a coral reef ecosystem. And then all of the ecosystems collectively on Earth uh, constitute the biosphere. So ecologists study um, these systems at different levels of organization depending on what questions they're interested in. Uh, but, of course, this is a, this is a gross uh, oversimplification of what we know about living systems. For example, an organism, I mean, is an organism really an organism? Think of yourself, for example. Are you only one species? You're a human, yes. But but there are parts of you that aren't human, right? What's What's in your gut? E. coli. There are more bacteria in your gut than there are human cells in your body. And without those bacteria, you'd be in. uh, There are also your your skin is is an ecosystem. It's teeming with mites and little creatures that, if you looked under the microscope, you'd be appalled. All of your pores have tiny little ecosystems in them, and they're they're doing. Most of these are doing their job, helping. You're their habitat, and they're helping you be a living being. So, you yourself are an ecosystem. Um, so, it, it's really difficult to, to talk about these in a very clean uh, way. I mean, dividing into, you can't really study an organism all by itself because each organism is in itself an ecosystem or a community, maybe not an ecosystem, but a community of, of organisms. Um, but, but this is the way we have come to divide up the living world at different levels. Of organization. <laughs> and we will talk about all of these in this class. So, ecology really has two broad branches, and that's how the, my series of lectures are, are divided up. One is called biogeochemistry, and in this branch, uh, is the study of how organisms mediate the transformation of energy and matter in the biosphere. And this is essentially uh, talking about the metabolism of ecosystems. In some ways, we will Talk about the You've been learning all about the biochemistry of cells and how cells work and, and how uh, they process energy, etc. The sum of all of that biochemistry in cells uh, results in these biogeochemical cycles, the interactions between these organisms um, and their environment. Uh, When we talk about the metabolism of the biosphere, you almost uh, can think of yourself as being in the inside of a cell, uh, looking at the biochemistry uh, of the whole cell from the from the inside. It's all a matter of scaling, and we'll see that you've learned about photosynthesis and respiration, right? So, have they? Yes. Well, you'll see that those processes that you've learned about uh, that are subcellular collectively also have a metabolism um, for the biosphere. Okay, Um, the second, and this will be my second set of lectures, is population and community ecology. And here we talk about organisms, not just the biochemistry, uh, their collective biochemistry. But this is the study of the processes that regulate the distribution and abundance of organisms. What determines um, the rates of population growth of a particular population? What determines the distribution of different species over the landscape in a particular habitat? This part of ecology we often talk about as being the function of ecosystems. And this, the structure. And the important, the really important thing is to remember is that these two are very much obviously dependent on one another. If you change the structure of an ecosystem, if you cut down all the trees, you will change the function of the ecosystem. There will be no photosynthesis. Okay? So this is a really important point that these two are related, and we'll we'll um, we'll talk about that a lot in more detail when we go forward here. Just so I think my neck, if we can turn the lights off, I'll show you um, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite slides, if it works. Showing, ah, yes. This is to give you a feeling for the Earth as a living organism, in a sense. Uh, This is the biosphere. Um, This is obviously a NASA um, image. Showing the green is the plants on Earth, and this is the desert. The green in the in the ocean is the phytoplankton, and the the red area. So where there's lots of green, there's more phytoplankton. Where there's red, there's even more. And now we're zooming in on the uh, equatorial Pacific. Here's a big bloom of phytoplankton. Um, but this shows you the and, and that this is about three seasons in the life of the Earth. Okay, uh, but it shows you how how dynamic the surface film of the Earth is that we consider the biosphere. And all of this life and all of its uh, cycling and dynamics influences the composition of our atmosphere and of our oceans and all of the nonliving components of the Earth. And really, at the biosphere level, what ecology is, is understanding the interaction between the living processes and the non-living processes in the Earth. And how they co-evolve to shape this, this living planet. If you were somebody out on Mars and you you saw that, you—if you could see that from mars which you probably could if you were living on Mars because you'd be a different species and you could do all kinds of things. Um, but you would, you would really get a feeling for the, the, that this planet is a lot just um, seeing those dynamics, and it is. And we don't know if we're the only ones, but. Um, It's certainly worth understanding how the whole thing works. So that's the goal, which is rather intimidating but very exciting. Uh, Okay, an important, very important concept in ecology is a concept of emergent properties. And the idea is that at each level of organization uh, that we talked about here, well, if I can't go back, I can't go back. There we go. At each level of organization of the system that we talk about there has properties that only exist at that level of organization. So if you want to understand population ecology or community ecology, you can't study cellular ecology and just scale up. Now, this runs against a lot of MIT uh, reductionist philosophy, right I mean what, what we 're all about here is taking things apart down to their component parts and understanding them and then building our knowledge from there um, But this whole field of complexity theory that has uh, emerged uh, very, with a force, say in the last ten years uh, is showing us that 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 's too oversimplified and that systems at different levels of organizations have their own properties. So if you want to understand how the earth works, you've got to understand the earth. You can't just understand how all the atoms are working that come together to make the organisms. Um, and this is 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 fundamentally because of feedbacks in the system. Uh, so let me give you an example. Okay. The uh, brain. And this isn't ecology, but it's an example you can relate to. Has 10 to the 12 cells with 10 to the 14 connections, and the emergent property is your behavior, right? Um, those cells are connected in a certain way, which results in the way that you you think and feel, your emotions, your behavior, etc., and it's now in brain research we now have, have learned uh, that the way these are connect these, these cells are connected is influenced by the environment that, that the learning environment for young children. The, the, how the brain is stimulated influences how these are connected. Uh, so there's a feedback between the environment experienced by a child and how <coughs> these connections are made. Similarly, in in ecological systems and throughout evolution, there's a feedback. You have a bunch of cells doing a certain kind of metabolism, which changes uh, the atmosphere of the planet, and then that atmosphere selects for certain types of cells that weren't there before. So there's a constant feedback between the emergent property feeding back. On the system level below, and changing it, and that's what really the, the 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 characteristics of a complex system. And we'll we'll talk about in a minute some major examples of that. Um, one that one that I always like to think about and throw out is that if you knew everything, if any of you have an ant colony when you were a kid. Oh, you're deprived. Oh, yes, okay. Um, You know, you get the sand and the two pieces of glass, and you put some ants in, and they make all these tunnels and everything. So, if you knew everything about ants and ant behavior, and sand and the mechanics of sand, um, could you ever predict the pattern of those tunnels that they're going to build? Actually, most of the classes I talk to say, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> if I knew all that, I could predict it, but think about it. Um, OK, because I, I don't think you could. And this whole field of complexity theory is, is really exploding now. In fact, Northwestern uh, University, I just noticed on the web, has just formed an entire school of complexity that has people from all different fields in one, under one roof, including social sciences all the way to physics. Under one roof, studying this phenomenon, and ecology is complexity at its best. Okay, Um, so one other thing before we move on is that you know I said ecology is not environmentalism, um, but it's a fundamental uh, science. But the knowledge that is gained from the study of ecological systems uh, and the the principles of ecology, uh, that knowledge is used in a field. That is growing now, called applied ecology, and that's where you use ecological knowledge uh, to influence human um, activities on Earth. And for example, you'd use ecological knowledge to understand how much of the Earth's forests can we cut down before the the system won't won't sustain us before you, the, you won't have enough photosynthesis to maintain the um, Oxygen levels in the atmosphere, or draw down enough CO2 so that we don't all boil up. We'll, we'll talk about about that. Um, if you want to protect a particular species, how large of an area do you have to set aside as a reserve? In order to know that, you have to do fundamental studies of the ecology of that species. Um, basically, how far can we, as humans, push these systems from their Quote unquote natural state uh, uh, until they won't function for us anymore. Because we rely on natural systems for food, fiber, and clean water and, and the composition of our air. But another point here, I just said how far from the natural state can we push them. Another big important point <clears throat> as we talk about ecological systems is there is no original state of nature. Uh, there is no baseline nature nature isn't a lo- nature is is ever changing nature is evolving and we'll talk about how much the the earth has has evolved since the formation of the earth so it's important to keep in mind that that what humans are doing now as as we try to have conservation programs and worry about global warming and um and the extinction of species is is that we're we're trying to keep the Earth the way we think we want it right now. I mean, the way we think it was before industrial, the Industrial Revolution, uh, before the massive flux of energy into the system, has allowed us to completely change the, the biosphere. And that's a really important thing because the Earth has a mind of its own, and we know that climate Not a quote, unquote. Uh, It doesn't have a mind, but um, it has a behavior of its own. And we know that there were massive climate changes in the past, and there will be massive climate changes in the future. And an asteroid might hit us, and who knows all of these things? It's going to change. So our challenge is is understanding the degree to which we want to try to control that natural change, uh, and try to not impose rapid change in the rates of things that are that are already going on. So it's a it's a very tricky problem, and you guys are the ones that are going to inherit it big time. Uh, You're going to be in charge of this biosphere, Uh, and you're going to have to figure out how to manage it. Because like it or not, we we are uh, influencing it to such a degree that we have to manage it. Okay. Um, So another important concept. Is that the organism? And I've already alluded to this. The organism environment interaction is two-way. I mean, we're all used to thinking about the survival of the fittest, right? That you have this environment out there, and you have organisms, and the the organism that's Fit to uh, is most adapted to that environment will survive and reproduce, and that's how evolution works. Well, it's more it's more than that. The important thing is that not only do organisms adapt to the environment, but they actually change the environment. They co-evolve with the environment, um, and so life and the non-living components of the Earth are are interacting. Very intimately, and life has, has fundamentally shaped the nature of the non living part of our planet. Um, so, an example of this that I draw from your textbook, just a, a very simple example, has to do with, um, with the influence of, of microbes on the succession of plants in uh, a northern um, ecosystem. So let's just. So what these there's two succession is is if if you start with blank soil and you just let it sit, how will communities of organisms come in and colonize? You know, you start out with with very small um, plants and then larger plants and then bushes and then trees over time. So sometimes ecologists study this by by clear-cutting an area and then following it over time. That takes years and years and years, much longer than the average scientist's lifespan. Uh, so another way to do this is substitute space for time, and that's what they've done here. Um, this is a, a glacier that's receding uh, in this direction. And so, so, so where, it, where it initially retreated, soil was exposed. And um, succession started, and then it retreats more, and, and so this this area is growing while this one's just getting exposed. So eventually, along this gradient, you you have the youngest community up here and the oldest community down here. And so they were able to look at the effect of that succession of different species on the composition of the soil. And there's an important Successional uh, stage here. So here's the the nitrogen content in the soil as a function of of simulated time here, and showing that it increases steadily as succession goes on, up to a peak and then levels off. And that's that increase is largely due to the invasion of of plants that. Can fix nitrogen alder trees are a specific species of trees that have in their roots um, nitrogen symbiotic, symbiotic nitrogen fixing bacteria have they talked about Have you talked about this at all nitrogen fixation This is what Professor Walker actually works on in his research in his laboratory he 's a world expert on the on the mechanism of this but these nitrogen-fixing microbes are, are the only forms of life, really, that can take nitrogen gas from the atmosphere, N2, and, and using this nitrogenase enzyme, uh, convert it to ammonia, which is what they need to make proteins and etc. So, there's this huge reservoir of nitrogen gas in the atmosphere, and only through these microbes can we get that into the soil so that other organisms can use it. So, here's a process at the... Molecular level, where the biochemistry that you're learning in the in the rest of this class um, scaled up actually completely influences the the species uh, that inhabit this this ecosystem by increasing the nitrogen in the soil. And just to show you how important These microbes are globally. This is the global nitrogen cycle, and don't worry about the details because we're going to talk about this in future lectures in big detail. So this is just to make the simple point that um, here's this biological nitrogen fixation on a global scale. These we have to start talking about big units here. Okay, this is gigatons of nitrogen. So I've converted it. A gigaton of nitrogen is equal to in weight. To a billion Volkswagens. So you have to think on an annual scale, on an annual scale, 140 billion Volkswagens worth of nitrogen is dragged out of the atmosphere and put into living organisms by the biochemical processes that you're learning about at the subcellular level. So, so massive quantities of stuff is flying around here uh, that, that you can uh, appreciate you see it now if there were no life on earth that that nitrogen cycle wouldn 't be a cycle all none of these processes would would work without the microbes and we 're going to talk about them in much more detail later okay the other really important um, cycle on earth is the the carbon cycle and so I put this up here um, to to vary uh, simply now, you've talked about these reactions in, in terms of in the biochemical sense in great detail. This is what what I call my impressionistic biochemistry. All right, the net the net reaction of photosynthesis is to take CO2 gas um, from the atmosphere, using water, using solar energy, and convert it to organic carbon. Uh, think of this as glucose. Multiply that by six, and you got glucose, organic carbon. Uh, and oxygen has evolved. Uh, So this is what we call the mass from gas reaction on a global scale. This is the foundation of all life on Earth. Um, Without it, there would be no life. Uh, Life is created from this gigatons of CO2 in the atmosphere and the solar energy. And then the reverse, of course, is that all of the animals and bacteria, all of the things that can't photosynthesize, use this organic carbon uh, and use oxygen and burn it In respiration that you've learned about, uh, to make chemical energy heat and cycling the the gas back. Now, in order for this to run, I love that part. Uh, (laughs) That took me about ten minutes to figure out. Uh, This is that all the other elements on Earth need to cycle uh, through, and it's microbes. That do this cycling, and we're going to talk about that in the next lecture. Because um, the system would run down if the if the elements on Earth weren't, weren't cycled by microbes through various redox states. So um, this is just a, a more detailed, um, scaled down version of of what you you you've already learned in class: photosynthesis, the Z scheme. Making uh, glucose from the calvin cycle, and then that glucose goes into the mitochondrion um, and you have respiration and CO2 is evolved uh, so this is the microscale version of what I just showed you and this is the macro scale version of what I just showed you. Uh, this is the global carbon cycle and you have hundred gigatons of carbon coming into the system through photosynthesis and Going out through respiration, so that's the collective uh, photosynthesis and respiration metabolism of the Earth. What I'm trying to get you to feel, get a feeling for here is is this whole phenomenon of scaling, uh, that these processes occur at multiple scales, from the subcellular to the um, to the biosphere level. And here, here's that round Earth. This is the flat Earth version of the. Of the globe showing, you see, in the northern hemisphere, you can see the, the winter, there's winter, no green, there's summer, everything green. Winter, no green, summer, everything green. And you can see, all, now, now the way you see this, this is cool. Um, because that, that pulsing, you can actually see, this is the CO2 concentration in the atmosphere. OK, over a period of three years or so, showing that when respiration is greater than photosynthesis in the northern hemisphere in the winter, CO2 in the atmosphere goes up. When photosynthesis is greater respiration, uh, CO2 goes down. So you can see the signature of the Earth breathing in the CO2 concentration in the atmosphere. Um, <clears throat> Also, you can see that this is increasing, and we're gonna. Does anybody know why that is? Hello? Did somebody say something? Global warming. Global warming. Yeah, but is that greenhouse what greenhouse, greenhouse effect? effect? Yeah, but what's causing that? Fuel. There you go. Fossil fuel. Burning fossil fuel is causing an increasing trend in the CO2 concentration, which is causing the greenhouse effect, which is. Causing global warming, and we'll talk about that. Oh, this is an emergent property of the system the CO2 concentration. Now, in the last slide I showed you, these arrows were the same um, width, but life on Earth was not always that way. Uh, Respiration didn't always balance photosynthesis. And this gets to my point about there's no original state of nature. In the early Earth, photosynthesis way outpaced the consumption of organic matter. So, what would that result in? If this arrow is much more rapid than this arrow, oxygen in the atmosphere increases, exactly. Now, if oxygen in the atmosphere increases, what happens? What, what else happens?
1: in order
0: for that to happen. This increases too, right? And, in fact, that is the deposition of fossil fuel. So, if we look at this is billions of years, uh, now we're going back to the, the formation of the Earth, 4.5 billion years ago, origin of life. Then we have uh, the beginning of oxygenic photosynthesis here. And it's the phytoplankton in the oceans that, that started this. Uh, and so oxygen started to uh, accumulate in the oceans, but not in the atmosphere at first. Um, so you have all this photosynthesis in the oceans, which were very reduced environment. So the minute the oxygen was evolved in photosynthesis, it reacted with iron, all these reduced compounds, particularly iron, and made iron oxides. so it never made it to the atmosphere at first. So you had the deposition of these banded iron formations uh, in the in the ancient marine environment, then eventually all of that got oxidized and it escaped into the atmosphere. And you started to have a buildup of oxygen in the atmosphere. And at the same time that was building up, they, the, the, there was burial of this organic carbon because it wasn't being respired by the, by the heterotrophic organisms. And that's the fossil fuel that we are now, that was built up over all of these. Billions of years—well, not billions, but yeah, yeah, billions of years—that uh, we have now burned over a period of a hundred years, releasing all that CO2 back into the atmosphere. So what we're we're, bur- we're burning ancient photosynthate, uh over a tiny little period in the Earth's history, and throwing it into the atmosphere. And the Earth is saying, "I, we, didn't, I don't know how to handle this," um, and so the. There's a big question of, of what what the Earth system is going to do with all of that CO2 that we're putting up there, and this is all going to happen in like the next 50 years. And as I always say in this class, I'll be dead, but you won't when <laughs> when it really hits the fan uh, unless we do something. Uh, so so here's the banded iron formations that we can we can see the the the, the legacy of that. History of the Earth in today's uh, rock formations, banded iron formations uh, of marine origin and terrestrial origin here. And we can see in the Earth's composition of the Earth's atmosphere the signature of of the evolution of life. Um, The the, the composition of the Earth's atmosphere is highly improbable uh, thermodynamically. Improbable, if you didn't have the influence of converting this solar energy into um, living biomass, and so the CO two concentration is much lower than these um, planets, and the nitrogen concentration uh, higher, and the temperature a nice balmy sixteen degrees. Okay, so. Uh, This is just to remind you that these processes operate at all scales. Biosphere. This is a little ecosphere I'm going to bring next time, showing you a a sealed ecosystem in which all of these properties go on. And finally, um, so I've been talking about levels of organization from the molecular level up to the biosphere level. And there's an exciting new um, thing happening in, in my field. That is is so exciting. I have to tell you about it, and I'll probably be telling you about it more and more as I as I go along here. And that is a whole new field uh, is emerging called molecular ecology, where where we're viewing the biosphere as a network of genes. Um, <clears throat> it's not that you either study. Uh, Cellular, molecular biology, or biochemistry, or you study the biosphere, but you try to think of the biosphere as a network of genes. And in oceanography, we're actually able to start to do this um, because the oceans are dominated by microorganisms, although in this picture I don't have that properly represented. Um, but we're starting to think about a sea of organisms as being simply a network of genes most of the genetic information in the the oceans is in microorganisms. And I like to think of the oceans as dissolved information, essentially. When you look out and you see that blue water, there is so much DNA in there and so many genes doing so many different things. It's just uh, phenomenal. And we're starting, there are a billion microbes per liter in seawater. 99.9 99.9 percent have never been cultivated, we know nothing about them. There's as much information in that leader as in the entire human genome, and most of it are, is of unknown function in this biosphere. And so, just within the last year, this is Craig Venter, who was um, one of the, the people who sequenced the human genome. And he, and now that that's over with, he needs a new challenge, so he's taken on the ocean genome, meaning Sequencing all of the DNA uh, in the oceans. And um, he's got taken his yacht, because he's rich now, uh, <laughs> and, and, that, and that's his research vessel. Uh, and they're going around the oceans, uh, collecting samples, filtering them onto filters, uh, and collecting all the microbes. And then you take it, you grind it up, you extract the DNA, and you sequence it. Um, and you just Get a bunch of little pieces that you identify as genes, but you don't know what organisms they belong to, uh, but you, you've got genes. And um, this is his cruise track, which you notice doesn't have any, very many northern uh, climbs here, although there was, they did do something up in Halifax. Um, and it, it, it kind of resembles the, the Challenger expedition from back in the 1800s, which was one of the first major oceanographic expeditions. Um, so they published a paper in science last year. just off Bermuda, they found 1.2 million new genes that had never been in the database um, that were they had to create a new database in order to even put these genes in it, and 1,800 new species. And he is estimating the g- genetic inventory of the planet, most of which is in these microbes, uh, to be 20 to 30 billion genes, and then we're going to have to figure out what they're all doing. Okay, so just the, the the take-home message. I just I'm going to try to do this at the end of each lecture so that you know what I think is important. Um, so uh, we talked about life at different scales. Ecology is the study of life at all these different scales. Emergent properties, really important concept to understand. There's nothing more important than understanding this organism environment is a two-way street. Um, there is really no such thing as a free-living organism either. They are all dependent on one another. Even if you have a culture of, if you have a culture of, say, E. coli, which you've supplied glucose to so it can grow, where do you think that glucose came from? It's the photosynthetic product of some fo- of some plant somewhere. Uh, so organisms are not really free-living. Um, they are all dependent on one another. Life has shaped the Earth's features, its atmosphere. Um, That the biosphere that I've shown you and the geosphere, which is what we refer to the non-living part of the Earth, uh, have co-evolved over evolutionary time. Um, And the genetic inventory of this is completely unknown. And of course, microbes rule the planet. Don't forget that. See you next time.